Hey, you're listening to a brand new episode of Funny and Handsome Guys, brought to you by Centers of Attention Productions. Leave us some feedback at fhgpodcast at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at Twitter handle at fhgpodcast. Or leave us a voicemail at 847-893-0344 and enjoy being humiliated in front of our tens of listeners. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Funny and Handsome Guys. That's that's the crowd going wild. You hear that crowd? I heard it. Uh, as always, uh, we're your faithful hosts. Um, I'm Kevin. I'm Chris. And I'm Reggie. Alright, so uh, we're uh, your source for explicit... Explicit nerdery, I think it is what it says on the iTunes uh, description. Um, I don't know what that means. But how you guys doing? It's been a while. Since all three of us have been uh, recording here. This is true. Reggie? Reggie, how you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. I'm doing alright. Excellent. I, uh... We, we were going to have a special episode. Um, Reggie wasn't able to meet us uh, for recording last week. And uh, so Chris and I were did a uh, show together. And somehow in the recording of it all, my audio was erased. So that's the ultimate lost lost track. The, the lost episode that is literally lost. <laughs> literally we're back. Uh, we've got a pretty good show for you. We've got uh, Album of the Week, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead, Lost Songs. Um, it's their latest after uh, a couple not quite as uh, heralded um, albums as uh, they started out with. Uh, their earliest earlier albums, uh, 2002 Source, Co- uh, Source Tags and Codes, um, is pretty much wildly regarded as a masterpiece, but the last two um, works that they did, uh, Worlds Apart and So Divided, were a bit less well-received, so we're going to be talking about that here. Uh, uh, Kevin, you, you missed the Century of Self. Oh, there. and Century of Self. I apologize. That was... Uh, yes. Um, but yeah, so uh, we're going to be talking about that album up a little bit um and then uh we're also going to be talking a bit about Wreck-It Ralph uh the CGI film that came out here a couple weeks back and uh featured classic video game characters and uh arcade favorites um and in recognition of that we're going to talk about our top five classic video games um Looking forward to seeing what you guys are, are going to come up with. Album of the week. Uh, we're going to be talking about, and you know, and you will know us by the Trail of Dead Lost Songs. Um, first, we're going to have the single from the, or is that a single? 
Yes. It is, yes. We're going to be playing the signal from the album Catatonic. So here it is. So that is Catatonic by And You Will Know Us by The Trail of Dead. We're going to fill up uh, this episode just by pl- saying the name of this uh, band. Um, Hi-yo. So, uh, Chris, what did you think about uh, this latest album? I know that you've been a fan of theirs for quite a while. Um, do you think this is a return to form, or do you think that uh, this is a further downward spiral? Or do you think that they never lost uh, lost the edge? Well, let let me start by detailing a bit of my history with this band. You know, I first, they first came to my attention back in 2002 with their Source Tags and Codes record, uh, widely regarded as, as you mentioned, Kevin, as a masterpiece. It is an incredible record from start to finish. And if you've not yet heard it, by all means, find it, hunt it down, listen to it, buy it, whatever you have to do. It's an incredible record. Um, the band then, following that, sort of wound up, you know, as with any time a band puts out something that people are calling a masterpiece, the band wound up in, in sort of crisis mode in the sense of how do you follow something like that up? Uh, their follow-up record, Worlds Apart, was not exactly uh, a winner nor was most of the things that they put out since then. Uh, they've, they've put out how many records? They, there's Worlds Apart, They're So Divided, Century of Self, and Tau of the Dead. Oh, yes, I forgot uh, that one as well. Came out last year. Um, and, you know, I've seen the band live a number of times, and probably the best time was the first time that I saw them, if only because I was in New York, it was at a show in which there was a very eclectic eclectic lineup because it was part of a showcase for a, for a label that they were signed to. So there was some hip-hop mixed in there. There was some noise rock mixed in there. There was some indie pop. And headlining the show was Angel Knows by the Trail of Dead. Uh, they come on. It's about 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And I'm at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City. And the band comes out and it is clear that they are drunk. They are very drunk. Uh, And they come out and they play just an incredible high energy show that culminates in them 
completely smashing every single thing on the stage. Their instruments, they encourage the crowd to rush the stage and blow past security and barricades and join them on stage. And I was nearly killed by pieces of flying guitar and a microphone stand that was slammed into the ground directly in front of me. Uh, could have crushed my head quite easily had security not grabbed me and pulled me back. So it was one of, if not the greatest concert going experience I have ever had. And I have seen the band a handful of times since then. And they haven't done anything near what they did that night. They, they've sort of, they mellowed out. They don't smash everything anymore. They, they're very calm, but they, they still put on a pretty good show. And that's sort of how I feel about their catalog, too. You know, back in the Source Tags and Codes era, which is when I saw them that first time, that was such a great time. You know, they were at the top of their game. And then they sort of fell off. And that's the way that it's been for a while now. It's been a decade since, you know, that record. And now here they come with Lost Songs. And the good news is that after quite a bit of time in a valley, they have now finally risen back up and at least gotten somewhere near to that level of excellence that they were back in 02. They've all of a sudden gotten their energy back. They've gotten, you know, a punk spirit about them that's just really kicked up and revived a large part of that, I think, has to do with uh, the politics of the record in the sense that they decided that they wanted to make a record that was explicitly political and tried to get people, you know, to sort of wake up it's, politically, if you will. It's dedicated to Pussy Riot, I believe, right? The Russian well, musical they, group that was locked up. That they are still locked up. Um, Some of them were released. Yes. Um, not all of them are in prison, but... A uh, few of them are, and they'll be in prison for a little while still. But they dedicated one of their songs to Pussy Riot after after it was already written and composed and essentially released. They decided, oh, well, we dedicate this song to Pussy Riot, even though it wasn't written specifically with them in mind. But there's songs on the record about Syrian genocide. There's all sorts of weird, depressing world issue topics, sort of a Rage Against the Machine type uh, record in, in the sense of its politics and the outrage really spurs them on I think and really you know ha that anger fuels this record in a lot of really good positive ways in my opinion and you know you got songs like Pinhole Cameras and Up to Infinity which are sort of classic Trail of Dead in the sense that they come out raging and they calm down into this nice midsection before they rise back up again and, you know, build tension till they just about explode into some sort of madness, some sort of great madness, if you will. So, yeah, and even the song that we heard, Catatonic, from Jason uh, Reese, is, is on lead vocals on that track, is just intense. And one thing I do want to mention about Jason Reese is that he is just this incredible asset to the band playing drums and then occasionally taking lead vocals. He hasn't been a lead vocalist for the band or he hasn't taken his turn in front of the microphone 
on some songs for the band in a while. I don't think he was on the last album at all, uh, vocally. So to hear him back, he's not only on Catatonic, but a few other songs too. It's really good. He has a really intense, very punk rock vocal style that really works for me. And so between that and just the general energy and the anger they infuse into this record, it's the best Trail of Dead record uh, in a long while, probably since Source, Tags, and Codes. So very, very good, uh, much better than I expected, and uh, definitely getting a recommendation from me. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely a return for form, to form for them. Um, this is the sort of album that, I mean, Trail of Dead is is long been this sort of hard rock band meets, you know, prog rock meets uh, a bit of punk, you know, all through a sort of a Fugazi filter, you know, it's, it's a very unique sort of a uh, take on prog rock. Um, and there's a reason that, you know, they, they have such the, uh, reputation. Lost songs is, is definitely a return to form for them. Um, where they're, they're, distilling their sound down uh, to a point where it's consistent across every single one of these songs. Um, you know, there, there's something to be said for like the just wide swath of uh, sort of musical, uh, um, you know, styles. It's not styles. It's just like e- each one of these songs has, has very different um, subject matter. And yet, they're all, you know, the, the, the band approaches them each, like, equally. And, and they have a very unique, you know, voice to them. And um, there, there, there's, there's certainly, like, an awe in, in hearing them and uh, really embrace and, and, and hit their stride with a such consistency on this album. It's, it's pretty exciting. I agree. Yeah. Reggie, what did you think? I, um, trail of the dead is definitely a band that I had heard a lot about, um, for, for a long time. And, um, this was honestly the first time that I sat and listened to them. Um, I, so I didn't really have um, a lot of I didn't really have a lot to compare it to, but I I did enjoy it. I think it was it was really kind of I don't want to say like low fidelity. It was kind of like like no frills. I'd say I haven't I haven't heard like a a no frills rock album like this in a long time. Like it wasn't overproduced. Um, it was very I don't want to say like grassroots or bare. Like it was just them. You could tell it was just them being them, and it wasn't a whole lot of other people coming in and saying, Hey, maybe you should do this. Um, and I liked that about it a lot. To me, it kind of sounded like the, uh, (laughs) it, it kind of reminded me of like an album that you hear for the first time on a road trip with a friend who's like, Oh, Hey, you know, he just throws it in the CD player and it's something you've never really heard of before, but then you end up, you end up really liking it. And, and that's, that's how I felt about it. All right, cool. Yeah, uh, and you know, one one of the things that's sort of different about this record than their their last few is that they've 
really scaled back their production work and they've really taken it from like they they tried to go huge and epic at at some point and just added all these strings and it was like a huge sounded like it was destined for the soundtrack to some epic action film uh a lot of the time and so here they have definitely you know scaled back they're down to four guys they used to have like six or eight and they're really making an effort to get back to their roots i guess you if you want to call it that all right uh so let's move on uh that pretty much wraps up Lost Songs from Angel Knows by the Trail of Dead uh, seem to be advocating for it, I would say. Everybody in, in pretty much agreement on that. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this song or this album. Um, Reggie, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head um, with this being the sort of album that you uh, you listen on a road trip with uh, other friends and whatnot, and, and it's something that you maybe discover. It's the sort of album that I think they've been trying to work at uh, since Source Codes. Um, it's been a long time coming where, you know, it's it's a buzz band that the buzz has slowly been fading behind it. And this is the sort of album that really brings it back to uh, why there was the buzz in the first place. Yeah, Definitely. So let's move on. Uh, I think we have a, a movie review to get to. Yes? Uh, I believe so. Uh, let's start talking a little bit about Wreck It Ralph. The newest... It's Disney, right? It is Disney. Yes. It's it's not Pixar. It's not... Uh, Blue Sky. DreamWorks or Blue Sky, yeah. No, this is, uh, this is pure Disney here. Um, and then before we do anything, let's uh, let's go with the trailer. I'm gonna wreck it. Can you fix me? I can fix it. Closing time. Last game. Everyone out. <laughs> My name's Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck 30 years I've been doing this. Ah. It starts to feel hard to love your job when no one else seems to like you for doing it. Sure must be nice being the good guy. Nice share, Ralph. As fellow bad guys, we've all felt what you're feeling. I'm Zangief, I'm bad guy. Oh, I'm Zangief. Ralph, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're a bad guy. Zombie, bad guy. Hi, zombie. Hi, zombie. Zangief saying, labels not make you happy. Good, bad. You must love you. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. Ralph abandoned his game. Where's the wrecking guy? Welcome to Game Central Station. Trains for all game destinations now boarding. Everything changes now. 
Where's Ralph? Stand by, my Cubertese is a little rusty. Ralph's gone to hero's duty? Get out of this game, buddy! Ralph, you're game jumping? What's your name? Freaking Ralph. Why are your hands so freakishly big? I don't know. Why are you so freakishly annoying? Ladies, the kitten whispers and tickle fights stop now. When did video games become so violent and scary? Are you a hobo? Listen, I try to be nice. nice. You're mimicking You're me. mimicking me. That is rude, <laughs> and this <laughs> conversation is <laughs> over. So, yeah, so uh, Wreck-It Ralph is directed by Rich Moore. He, uh actually came from a background in TV. He did uh, some Futurama episodes. He did Drawn Together. He did uh, Sit Down, Shut Up, the short-lived TV show a few years back by uh, Mitchell Hurwitz, the creator of Arrested Development. Um, But he's really been a television director for a long time. Um, And so he's trying his, his hand at feature films with Wreck-It Ralph, which is direct or which is uh, produced by John Lasseter. Um, one of the, uh, foremost, uh, house of mouse, uh, you know, minds. He, um, has a lot of inf- input into, uh, Pixar as well. So there was a lot of, uh, anticipation on this movie. Uh, it stars John C. Riley and Jack McBride and Jane Lynch, as well as Sarah Silverman. Uh, um, Kevin, and, what you said, Jack McBride, Jack McBrayer. Thank uh-huh. you. Who's Jack McBride? I'm somebody you just made up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just made up Jack McBride. All right. So Jack McBrayer, the, uh, Weasley guy from 30 rock. Um, but it also has Alan Tudyk and Mindy Calling, Ed O'Neill, Dennis Haysbert, um, you know, uh, just a, a fantastic little uh, voice cast here. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, anticipation behind it. So before I go any further in talking about whether or not it's good or not, it's uh, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the plot. It's um, been talked about that this was a sort of video game who framed Roger Rabbit with different characters from different shows or different uh, arcade games and video games that show up here and there. Um, do you guys have any favorites that showed up in this uh, film so f- or showed up in the film? For me, um, I, I'm a huge Street Fighter fan. So the fact that, you know, Ken and Ryu had, had speaking parts and then there was a whole... Um, the, the bad guy support group where Zangief, um, <laughs> Zangief, Zangief had a nice great. little, little monologue. Zangief and, had a good part. They, yeah, they even referenced him later, which I thought was pretty funny too. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I was super little back in the eighties, um, I was, I, I liked Qbert a lot. So to see Qbert and, and the people from his game like that, that really made me smile too. I enjoyed Pac-Man personally, uh, but also the Street Fighter stuff too. That was cool. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed uh, 
the featuring of uh, Tapper from Root Beer Tapper. That yeah, I thought that was brilliant. Like uh, having that be like the place that <laughs> that everybody went to once the arcade was closed. They they went to Tapper. Um, and and you see like various other characters as well as well as uh, Sonic the Hedgehog and M Bison and. Um, even Kano from Mortal Kombat, I, although I think that they try to sort of generalize who it is, um, it's it's very clearly uh, Kano. Um, but yeah, so it's basically about uh, Wreck-It Ralph is a video game villain who gets tired of being the villain and seeks out to become a hero. So what did you guys think? Uh, Reggie, I'm going to start with you. What did you think about this film? Do you think it lived up to uh, the highs of uh, Pixar or sunk to the lesser films of, I don't know, DreamWorks? Um, well, I, I personally had a lot of expectations for this movie um, because, I mean, I'm a big fan of Disney. I'm a big fan of video games. Um you know, I wasn't too convinced with the with the voice cast at first. You know, when I heard it was going to be John C. Riley and, and Sarah Silverman, I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. But I I sat down with an open mind. Actually, um, if we can go back a little bit and talk about, there's a short film before it. Oh that, yeah, sure. That I actually got to see in 3D. Like I don't I don't normal I don't really dig 3D movies. But the Render Man short, not Render Man, Paper Man. <laughs> Render Man is. <laughs> is Pixar technology. Um, <laughs> but the Paperman short before the movie, not only was it amazing, like the 3d added a completely new, like a, like, a, okay, let me, let me back up again. Cause I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but what it is, is it's, it looks like it's traditional cell animation, but it's actually 3d animation. And, um, it's, uh, well, I don't want to get too much. I don't want to spoil it for uh, anybody who who plans on seeing it but it's 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 very it's very charming um very i, I want to say old school in a sense it definitely has an old school feel to it even though um seeing it in 3d i was like oh this is crazy how did they do this um that i think was worth the price of admission alone like after seeing that like like my heart had swelled up and 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 i had almost tears in my eyes, like, it was very good. Um, and then, like, right away into, uh, the movie, which I thought was, like I said, my expectations were high, and not only were they met, mine were exceeded. I thought it was really good. Like I said, I was really doubtful of John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman, and I think those are the two that impressed me the most. Uh, well, I was going to say, it's interesting because um, John C. Riley. we had a discussion after we went to see it. Um, I went with another couple to go see it, and uh, it was it was interesting because I'm not a huge Sarah Silverman fla- uh, fan. Um, occasionally she's really funny, and occasionally she's just... But, I mean, more often than not, I would say, she's just plain obnoxious. Um so I was very hesitant to, for for her in this film, and she wasn't she wasn't bad in it. I was I I, I won't say that she was bad. I won't even sh- say she wasn't good. Um, but she wasn't my favorite part of this film at all. Um, she she was her character, that's for sure. Um, 
her character is uh, a a over sugarified, you know. I I think the game is supposed to be sort of like uh, parodying, uh, like like it's like if girl if games. Mario Kart and Candyland had a baby. That would be yeah, Sugar much. Rush, and that's the game that uh, Vanellope Von Schweetz is from. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think it's interesting that the the humor in the film had been pretty intelligent, like, from, from the beginning. Um, I would say that some of the humor from the beginning was as smart as, as Shrek at times. You know, Shrek is, I think... Uh, pretty fantastically written uh film um and and the humor in this film was was pretty intelligent up until the point where sarah silverman's character comes along and she makes a poop joke and like it it, it, it's funny it's funny it's it's smart and then you've got the poop joke and it's not it's not bad it's just there that i think it speaks to uh my only real issue with the film, which is that I think that it, the tone was a little bit off. And I think that it, it really comes down from uh, the director um, coming from this, this television background and being much more used to the tight 30-minute, 20-minute uh, uh, run times of these, uh, of, of these shows that he did. And here he is stretching out, like, his, his normal discipline to a, a feature length film. Well, I, he, here's why I disagree with you. Um, the movie up to that point is also like, think of it this way. Wreck-It Ralph is, he belongs to a 30 year old game, a game that you and I would have played when we were little in the arcade. Well, well not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a game that we would have played that we would have been very familiar with. A game that they've probably made, oh, yeah, you know, sure. however many new versions or spinoffs. And um, it's about, you know, Ralph is the is the central character, obviously. And once he goes into the world of Sugar Rush, he is completely out of his element. And I think, I think that was a stylistic, stylistic decision um, because... Yes, it almost feels like a different movie at that point, but it has to. Because if if Ralph was in his element, if Ralph was doing what he had been doing for 30 years, there'd be no conflict, there'd be no rising action, there'd be no payoff in the end. Do you understand what I'm saying? So him being, you know, him being in this new game with this character who is from a completely different world, I think that that's the I think that was the point is that all of a sudden the movie does take this weird turn and it's because it has to, in my opinion. Well, I, I certainly agree with you. I think that, you know, you have to uh, change the tone between the different games. Um, you know, the uh, hero's duty um, scenes are going to have a very different feel to them than uh, the sugar rush scenes, as well as different from the, Fix it, Felix Jr. scenes. Um, but I, I think I, I, it's just jarring as a viewer. Um, the best director, I would argue, would 
tie these scenes together maybe better. That's not to say that this game, this this movie wasn't great. I I think that this movie was really fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I I think I'm getting a little bit too uh, mirrored in the, the the details, the the little nitpicks of my my uh, you know it's it's not even uh, a very solid criticism. It's just you know you you know you really like it, but there's just maybe something a little bit off, and that for me may have been the the pacing or the tone. Um, but Chris, what what did you think? Uh, you know, I am going to largely disagree with you Kevin specifically uh in that I did feel that it was very well paced and also that I thought that Sarah Silverman did an excellent job and I sort of I'm not a big Sarah Silverman fan but I generally like her and I do agree in the sense that she can be a little annoying at times and she can wear out her welcome she can certainly do a lot of things that don't necessarily work humor wise but in this particular case the writing is strong her character is played exactly the way that it needs to be played i think and the very silly very sugary tone that she takes with it i think helps the film greatly it really injects some a different sort of energy into the film uh, that I really enjoyed. And while I did, you know, like you, Kevin, enjoy the first part before they get to the Sugar Rush game and those characters are introduced, I feel like it did take on a a new and exciting direction when they did get to that game. And I also want to give a special shout-out to Alan Tudyk, who... The man is great in pretty much everything he does, but here in the role of King Candy, I was just, (laughs) I couldn't help but laugh every time he was on screen, so. I I will be honest, I love Alan Tudyk. I had no idea it was him. I did not realize. Like, none of the credits. um, We we were trying to figure out who, yeah, we were, exactly, we were trying to figure out who he was up until the credits, and as soon as the credits were rolled, I was like, no way. So, yeah, big shout-out to Alan Tudyk. He was fantastic in this. Yes, and I also did not know that he was in it until the end. So, uh, you know, he sounds like the the character voice that he used sounds so much like at least a couple other characters that I've heard before. And I, I was just sitting there the entire time like, you know, that sounds like characters I've heard before, but I can't quite place it. And it was just Alan Tudyk doing his thing, so... And, and I'm going to say that um, he is the most inspired bit of casting here. I love John C. Riley, but he's not exactly um, reaching beyond his typecast here. Um, that's not to say that I don't love his type. I mean, I think that he's one of those character actors who plays a, a very specific type in just about everything he does, whether it's drama or comedy. And he can play it. He, he can play his drama and his comedy pretty similarly and yet have completely different effects and here he's just he's fantastic i'm i'm not so uh won over by um jane lynch jane, uh, jane lynch jane lynch or jack mcbrayer 
Um, I I felt like they were more just sort of there to service the story. They weren't necessarily. I I agree. I just felt like their their casting was a little bit on the nose. It was like you know you, yeah you you could get them, but does that necessarily mean you should get them? You know maybe we should have gotten somebody who was a little bit more exciting, um, doing something a little bit different. Not so much like you're you're watching it, and every time uh, Jane Lynch talks, you know it's Jane Lynch. And every time Jack McBrayer talks, it's like Jack McBrayer is playing Jack McBrayer, even when it's a cartoon. Yeah. Well, it didn't help that that yeah. uh, Jane Lynch's character looked exactly like her. <laughs> like even even her hair, you know, like yeah, it. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Say, so did uh, Jack McBrayer, though. Really. Uh, sorta. I mean, I guess he's wearing a hat and overalls the entire time, so it's kind of <laughs> a little bit less recognizable in that sense. But yeah, I, I can sort of see the slight bit of resemblance there. But, but I think in the end, we all agree that this is a, a really good movie. I think we may disagree in just how great a movie it is. I think you guys both liked it a little bit more than I did. Not to say I didn't really enjoy it. I I hope that it wins uh, an Oscar for Best Animated Film. At this point, I I just want it to come out on (laughs) Blu-ray. Because I want to own it so I can watch it five (laughs) times every day. With your daughter, I'm sure. Well, but yeah, but that's not the only reason why. I like it. (laughs) Selfish reasons, too. I think that's the sign of a great movie, is that a great kids' movie, is that you can watch it with your kids and enjoy it even if your kids weren't necessarily in the same room. Yes, I'll agree with that. Did you guys um, notice at the, um, the 30th anniversary party for um, Fix It Felix Jr., did you notice who the DJ happened to be? I did, in fact. I can't recall, but I probably did pay attention to that. It, he was somebody that uh, we we have uh, imitated on the show before. The uh, whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, yes. <laughs> in fact, I've just uh, cut my own record right there. <laughs> Well done, it's going to be a hit in about a week or two. <laughs> For exactly 13 minutes. But yeah. but yeah, Skrillex played the DJ. Tragically, but... <laughs> he actually did a remix... For um, the the Heroes Duty, the music in the Heroes Duty sequence, he actually did a remix of it for the soundtrack. That seems about right. Yep. But anyway, well, I think it's time for our top ten, top five, or Kevin, top five, top top fifteen, really, if you uh, count all three of us. So, top five time. <laughs> Top five, top five, top five, oh yeah. Okay, so our top five this week is top five all-time classic games. Um, we're referring specifically, of course, to video games. Um, we all are of the certain generation which we grew up with video games. 
Um, and so we have quite a bit to choose from. Um, we just left it as the top five classic video games, so we all probably had slightly different criteria, slightly different um, experiences. So I'm sure we'll have a, a nice, uh, you know, stretch of, uh, you know, selections here. Um, but first, let's uh, let's start it off. Chris, what's your number five? Okay, my number five is what I consider to be a little bit of a left field and interesting pick. It is Mortal Kombat 3 Ultimate Edition. Uh, now, I have been sort of a fan of the Mortal Kombat games since they first came around, mostly because when they first came around, my parents were absolutely against them. Uh, I was one of those kids that was like, oh, my parents said I can't watch this movie or play this game. Well, I'm going to do exactly that. So Mortal Kombat was sort of my my first real investment into video games. I would go over to my friend's house who had Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2, and we'd just play all night long, and we'd have marathons. But it wasn't until Mortal Kombat 3 hit, and they... They really turned it from Mortal Kombat 3 into the Ultimate Edition, which included more characters and different stage settings and things like that, that I really felt like the game hit its moment of perfection. And there were characters that I would play. Smoke is my absolute favorite character all time, I think, from, uh, from the Mortal Kombat series. And I used to have... A seven-hit combo with him that would just destroy anything in my way, uh, be it human or computer player. So I love that game. I spent endless hours playing it, and they even had it when I was a caddy at a golf course for eight or so summers. They had it in the caddy shack, and I would just play it for hours on end. Great game for me personally. Uh it's just a shame that the Mortal Kombat series kind of fell off the wagon, and I know they're trying to bring it back. I don't know how successful that's been. Have you seen, Have you seen the uh, Mortal Kombat video, uh, the, the web series? I have not. You should give it a chance. Reggie, have you seen I it? I started to watch it, but I had I had too many problems with it on a personal level, so I, I saw oh, it. Oh, I, I see. <laughs> um, Chris, you might want to check out this most uh, recent Mortal Kombat. Um, it, it, a lot of people consider it like a reboot. It's yeah, I heard that. It's really good, actually. It's um, the story mode on it is is kind of is is kind of what what puts it like a step above the rest. Um, just because you don't follow one person, like you follow the story of the tournament. So you play as whoever the story calls for, which I think is a really like a really cool way to tell the story and a, a really cool way to get you acclimated to different characters at the same time. No, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I considered picking it up and I was sitting there going, you know what, maybe when it goes into, you know, greatest hits mode and they start selling it for 20 bucks, I'll, I'll pick it, pick up a copy. They're also um, the same people that worked on the new Mortal Kombat. They're doing a, um, they're doing like a Mortal Kombat style game where it's all DC characters. So that should be really cool. Mm, excellent. 
Reggie, what's your number five? Um, my number five is, um, it, again, this is kind of like like what Chris was saying, a left field pick. Um, I just went to GameWorks um, just last week, and I think the party that I went with, we spent most of our time around one of these machines, but um, I'd, I'd say the entire House of the Dead series. Oh, I love the House of the Dead series. Oh, I love the House of the Dead series. <laughs> I think I think a lot of people do just because it's you know it, it really isn't anything more than mind numbing shooting, <laughs> um, and, and then everybody has their own tactics. Like uh, we were doing the you know how you hold your finger through the but like, you hold your finger on the like you stick your your you stick your finger out and you hold it up against the trigger and you kind of like rock both your hand and the gun back and forth. A lot of people use the same tactic for like time crisis. Um, I guess it's kind of cheesy. I guess it's cheating, but you know what? Whatever. As long as you're, you know, shooting the zombies, I'm sure nobody really cares, you know, and it's your quarter. So whatever. Um, but I mean, it's the, I I don't understand how it's made it so far. And then there's house of the dead overkill, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think one of the, one of the first lines I remember hearing in house of the dead overkill was the Detective Washington character saying, I'm going to rip your fucking balls off. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's still alive and kicking. And I remember playing House of the Dead when I was, like, in middle school. So I think it's really cool to see everybody loves to shoot zombies, obviously. And it's, it's I don't want to say fun for everyone, because I'm pretty sure they're all, like, you know, M-rated, but whatever. It's, it's, it's fun. House of the Dead, that's my number five pick. All right. You, you, you um, know, while I did enjoy House of the Dead, my favorite shooter was actually Time Crisis. I like the gameplay dynamics of Time Crisis more, but I like how mindless House of the Dead is. How it's just like, you know, Time Crisis, you have to be like, oh crap, let me duck, let me not get hit by this. But in Time, uh, but in House of the Dead, you're just like, ah, oh, die zombie, die, 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 die. That's a good point. <laughs> I. uh have very fond memories of playing house of the dead with my buddy Zach growing up. Um, every time we went to the, uh, the movie theater down, down the road from us, um, we would go and we'd play for whatever long, you know, length of time before the movie started. Um, but yeah, time guys is a great pick. Uh, my number five, um, it may be a bit of a left field pick. Uh, this is actually, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this, because I, I, holy shit, I had a hard time trying to make this list. Um, my entire list could have comprised of Mario games, um, Super Mario, uh, Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers three, um, hell, even Mario Brothers two would have been like on this list. Are you serious? Uh, so I am removing Mario Brothers entirely. See, I did This is too. the Mario Brothers yes. memorial I, list. I, I, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I mean, I, I have to give props to uh, Super Mario Kart, um, especially because, I mean, it, it's it's the kart, you know, the birth of the kart racer. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't do this list without, you know, putting up some sort of, uh, you know, restrictions on it and and that's that's what i'm coming down to is that it's the the mario brothers memorialist um so with that said my number five is the nes 
track and field game. Um, this is the game that came with a a, a running pad. It, it looked almost like a twister pad. Um, and theoretically, it was for... If, if you had multiple people playing, uh, you could all line up in like a line and you know the first player would be on the first set of... Uh, you know, feet spots and the second player would be on the second feet spots and so forth. Um, it very rarely happened that way. Usually this game had it so that, uh, you were playing, you know, one person would go and then the other person would go and you'd just sort of take turns. Um, and it very often worked out so that you would be running. And if you were doing the long jump, you would jump off the pad and then you'd wait for a few seconds and then you jump back on the pad. Um, and you would have the longest long jump in the history of long jumps. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I say that this game, you know, it, it has to be on this list. If purely for the fact that there is a, a, a Wii now, um, you know, this was the, the connect the Wii before these technologies existed. And without this sort of game, we wouldn't know that this sort of gameplay dynamic were what was was something that could be done. So NES track and field, that's my number five. I actually had my very first asthma attack playing that game, believe it or not. <laughs> I I do believe it. I uh I had asthma myself growing up and uh this game provoked it on more than one occasion. But I loved it anyway. You know, I never actually had uh, that game, and I never had the, the power pad, but I loved that game still, nevertheless, because I knew always knew somebody that had it and would just love going over to their house and just playing it. Well, uh, Chris, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is uh, what would be otherwise be considered the newest entry into the classic video game canon, at least for me personally. Uh, it is Grand Theft Auto 3. Uh, back in the old PlayStation 2 days, and, you know, come to think of it, they weren't that long ago. Uh, you know, Grand Theft Auto 3 sort of revolutionized gaming, not only for me personally, but for so many other people and for the industry, I think. Uh, just the way the complicated gameplay of the world being left alone in this world and being able to do pretty much whatever you wanted, but also go on the missions and, you know, pick up a prostitute, have sex with the prostitute, kill the prostitute, take your money back. All that stuff uh, was sort of new, new in experience. And, and you got to sort of live and create this character and build their strength and, and do all sorts of crazy complicated things and, you know, I think that Grand Theft Auto 3 set a precedent. And it's something that subsequent Grand Theft Auto games have been trying to live up to. And plenty of other video games have also been trying to uh, copy and live up to as well. And I don't think any of them have ever quite done it so well as Grand Theft Auto 3 did. Completely agree. That is a fantastic game. I have fond memories of playing it and I, I never actually played the storyline. That's the thing. Like you, you would play the storyline and you would go so far and then you would just get bored and you would just 
go out and slaughter the innocents. And it's it's a, a terrible thing to say that that was a huge appeal of the game, but it was. Um, it was it was almost I, I would say almost on par with. Uh, the sort of feedback that you would get from eating the dots in Pac-Man. Yes. Uh, but Reggie, what's your number four? Um, just like you were saying, Kevin, about um, the, the Mario series, I wanted to include it, but I kind of feel like if you look at it in the long run, like if you look at its, its humble beginnings to where it is now, I don't think I would I would still include it. Um, I really kind really? of feel, especially with this most recent, well, not Paper Mario so much, but with um, with New Super Mario, to, the new one where he has the gold fire flower that turns everything into coins. I I feel like now it's now they're just kind of going back to the well, and now it really isn't about adding anything new. It's it's just about hey, if we just slap new in front of it, people will buy it. And I'm really kind of just, I don't, Nintendo has done a lot of things lately to really make me just want to vomit all over myself. Um, but the only Mario game I would really think about including would be Mario Kart because, um, a lot of people once when they play Mario Kart, they just become completely different people. Um, Kevin, I'm I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. Lindsay is one of those people. Lindsay just transforms into this beast when we're playing Mario Kart. It's and true. and it's not a bad I absolutely love it. I love it. <laughs> um a lot of people have they have their characters, they have their tracks. Um and it's not just that, you know, it's a game that everybody likes. Like if you think about it, for a game, you know, for a <laughs> For a game that's as cutesy as something like Sugar Rush from Wreck-It Ralph, like, a lot of people get fierce about it, you know? Like, it'd be one thing if it was like, oh, yeah, I have my team in Madden, or, oh, I have, you know, I have this loadout in Call of Duty that I'll beat you with. But, like, no, it's Mario Kart. I kind of feel like it's it's common ground for a lot of people. Uh, Mario Kart is not a, is not really a game that, that people should be ashamed to play, or, you know, feel that it means one thing or another, but... Everybody does play it. Everybody does play it, and everybody seems to love it. You know, I've, I, I haven't met people that are like, "Well, I don't like Mario Kart." You know, I don't think I've ever heard those words in my life. <laughs> um, and and for that reason, that's why it's on my list. That's a great choice. Um, yeah, it, it was hard for me to uh, narrow that one out um, because it is such a influential game and um i mean without mario kart we would not have the kart racer and that is a whole genre in its own now i mean you you have i i actually had a star wars kart racer for the playstation uh years back and um was that maxi bombad racing yes awesome awesome (laughs) oh man i don't know why i had this game but yes uh but but i mean it wasn't just this game. There was a, a, a freeware, um, generic cartoon character kart racing game that I had for the computer that my sisters loved. Um, everybody loves kart racing games. I don't know why it is, what's so appealing about them, but you know they're great. Maybe it you know, links back to the old F1 racing for the Nintendo. Um, 
But yeah, so so my number four is completely different, though. Uh, it's similarly um, very influential, I would say, um, and that's Wolfenstein 3D. It's had multiple iterations since then. Um, you know, a couple remakes of the the basic premise, um, but really, what it's most you know established you know what it's most established uh reputation is is basically inventing the uh first person shooter um and i'm i'm sure you could say there were other first person shooters around the same time i don't know what they were if if there was really anything that could really compete with it being the the first like major first person shooter um but this is the game that launched it um without Wolfenstein 3D, there would be no Doom. Without Wolfenstein 3D, there would be no Duke Nukem. Without Wolfenstein 3D, there would be no Halo. And you have to think about that for a moment because the the current landscape of video games is such that first-person shooters is it. You've got Halo, you've got Call of Duty, you've got uh, Medal of uh, Honor. I mean... That's that's what sells big. Those are the the, the big games, and um, it's not always like that. There are certainly the uh, non first person shooters out there that are are big, and they go through phases where the first person shooters are not big. But but without Wolfenstein 3D, without its Nazis versus mon- or Nazi monsters versus you know. Axis commandos, um, or ax or allies commandos, excuse me. Um, you know, we wouldn't have any of that. Kevin, have you played the most recent version of Wolfenstein? I've only played a demo. Yeah, I I've not. I too played the demo. Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, it could have, yeah. Not. However, the the uh, original update of Wolfenstein, uh, Castle Wolfenstein, I believe is its name, uh, was not bad, and um, I certainly uh, enjoyed that game as well. I still remember the days of playing good old original Wolfenstein on my computer. <laughs> I do as well, and... It's it's one of those games where I mean it's indebted to not just I mean there there, there could be the argument made that Pac Man is a first person shooter, um, you know the same di- sort of uh, oh yeah I've seen that argument where where you know you've got Pac Man he's he's running through the different hallways um, it's not first person but you're controlling him. And you're going after the uh, the ghosts, and you're not shooting or anything, but... Um, but the only time they're vulnerable is after you have, like, the big dot. Yeah. Yeah. So that wouldn't really... I mean, there goes it's, your shooter It's, it's, it's not... Yeah. Well, it's not, a, it's not a shooter. It's, it's, it's just sort of the, uh, the evolution of the shooter. You can trace it back to Pac-Man, where you remove the shooter elements, and it becomes Pac-Man, basically. Okay. That doesn't make any sense to me. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a little confused by that, but okay. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain it. Um, say, say you're you're uh, the master chief, and you're going around, you're shooting everybody, you know, all the different grunts and whatnot. 
Um, you know, you have to conserve ammo. Um, you have to go through the different, you know, very often, I would say in the majority of, of cases, uh, there's a semi-maze of, you know, your path in, in front of you. Well, I'd say um, more so in Wolfenstein than Halo. Like, sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. But, I mean, I, I think that you can see, like, there's there's a transition. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yes, I can see that if you, if you take Pac-Man and you rotate it and you make it three-dimensional, that, yes, you would get something like Wolfenstein, which would then evolve into something like Halo. Like, I, I see, I see that logic. I just, <laughs> I just can't make the jump from Pac-Man all the way to Halo on, on its own. Well, well, and that's why we got Wolfenstein. Exactly. That's why Wolfenstein's such a important game. So that's my argument. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> okay. Chris, what's your number three? Uh, my number three sort of, in a sense, flies in the face of what you guys were saying earlier in regards to the Mario series, uh, not including anything from there for the most part. I tend to agree with that, but felt the need to include a title anyway, because if I didn't, then I, I don't know. I felt like I wouldn't be doing my list proper justice. Uh, and while the original Super Mario Brothers is sort of the be-all, end-all of video games, for the most part, for me and a lot of other people, I went in this particular list with Super Mario Brothers 3. I think it is the second best game in the series, which, including in my list of top fives, is second best. There, there's not really much logic to it. But, that being said, uh, I was sort of still getting into video games at the time when it first came out, which was in 1990, I think, or 89, somewhere around there. Uh, oh, yeah, U.S. came out in 1990. And the first time that I actually saw Super Mario 3 was via the Fred Savage film The Wizard. And this was back in 89, and it was shown, the film came out bef a few months before the actual game did. So, to be able to see, like, in this movie, which is about a video game, you know, addict, a kid that's addicted to video games, basically, it's a tragic tale. Uh, but they premiered the game, it was like the first time most people had ever knew that Super Mario Brothers 3 existed was via this movie and they showed footage from the game and the movie and the clear intention was to get kids excited about Super Mario Brothers 3 and it clearly worked on me personally and I was super excited to play Super Mario 3 and you know after what I felt was a large scale failure with Super Mario Brothers 2 uh, this one really brought the series back to where it needed to be and was more complicated and interesting than the original Super Mario as well. So Super Mario Brothers 3 holds a big place in my heart uh, as being one of the great Mario games of all time and one that I played more than almost any other video game. 
I remember uh, when that movie, when that game came out, um, because it was one of the first times where you wanted to go stand in line somewhere to buy a game. This concept hadn't quite like evolved to this point yet, where you knew of a place where you could go and stand in line for this game, but you wanted to do that. You wanted to be like one of the first people to play it. And everybody was whispering and talking in the playground about the wizard and how you get to see this new game. Um, and I, I'm going to disagree with you that I, I, I don't believe that uh, Super Mario Brothers 2 was an entirely, you know, was was a complete um, failure. I think it's, I mean, it, it was not originally a Mario game, um, which says a lot. Um about why it is the way it is, but it's uh, certainly a different sort of game, and it was a game that I really enjoyed going. I, I had a buddy uh, when I was in like first grade that I would go over to his house and I would play Super Mario Brothers two because he's the only person I knew who had it. Um, but yeah, Super Mario Brothers three. I, I think it's very telling the influence of this game by the fact that. You know, Nintendo Power has been around for 25 years. It's going out of business and will probably have one of the last covers be a dedication to Super Mario Brothers 3 with uh, the uh, Mario in the... Um... Raccoon suit? Yeah, I believe so. So. But, Reggie, what's your number three? Uh, my number three... Um, is uh, kind of in a sense the inspiration for Wreck-It Ralph. At least I saw a lot of parallels to the Fix-It Felix game, Fix-It Felix Jr. game. Um, and that'd be the original Donkey Kong. Um, because, uh, I, I mean, it's if you guys have seen The King of Kong, you know about Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe, how um, they, well, how... Billy Mitchell specifically came up in like this era where people started playing video games competitively and that was one of them and how he he held the record and then here comes Steve Wiebe this you know hotshot teacher who just happened to love the game uh, just happens to love the game and he practices and he you know gets his name out there in the community and some people look at him funny and, and think that he's cheating and blah, 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 accuse him of whatever. But eventually he does go on to break, uh, Billy Mitchell's high score. And, um, they, so there is a lot of, I don't know, I guess, uh, talk about it, but at the same time, like, it's just a fun game. Like really, I had it for NES and I remember playing it in the arcades too when I was little. And I mean, it's just like, it's, Yes, it's a lot of patterns, it's a lot of doing the same thing over and over again, but, like, even just in those three unique levels that they give you, it's a lot of fun. Like, uh, like avoiding the little fire guys that come out of the, the furnace, and then at the last stage, like, jumping over the pegs to, like, bring the whole thing down so Donkey Kong falls on his head, it... It's, it's one of the oldest games I remember playing, and I've played it a lot. And so, to me, to me, that's why it's on the list. Donkey Kong is my number three pick. I think that was partly uh, that Wreck It Ralph was partly inspired by Donkey Kong. Oh, for sure. 
I mean, the game is basically Donkey Kong or, uh, I don't know, maybe, yeah, I mean, it, 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 the, the, the gameplay mechanics of Wreck-It Ralph is pretty well established in the Atari slash arcade years. Yes. Um, Tapper, I think, also comes to li- comes to mind because you're going around and you're like fixing that um, as time goes along. Um, but yes, okay. So my number three is Ducktales. <laughs> um, and hear me out because Ducktales, I think, is a fantastic game. Um, it's not as well, you know, remembered, I think, as, as something like Donkey Kong or Super Mario Kart. But this is the first game that I can recall that is a licensed game that is a success. And not just a simp like a, a slight success. This is a resounding success. This is a fantastic game with a great, like, story developed around it. Um, it was the first time that I played a game where I felt like I was, like, really taking part in the story. It was an NES game, which blows my mind even more that this they were able to get away with the the graphics and the gameplay on this system um it was very simple but tremendous fun and i still play it i i have a copy of it and i still play it occasionally and it's still as fun as ever well i think um well first of all it was made by well you said it was it was probably one of the most successful licensed games um, I, I'd probably have to give that to Batman Arkham City and Arkham Asylum. Well, I'm saying, well, I'm saying it's it's one of the first uh, successful, uh, you know, licensed games, and it is definitely, you know, I, I would say it's in in, in the top of the uh, licensed games. I, I would say that since then there have been other licensed games that have come along, but it's definitely the the you know forebear of licensed games and showing that you can actually do a licensed game and do it successfully. True. Which yeah. is very, st- still very, very rare. And it's usually oh, you, you got a a license for some movie or cartoon or something, that's going to be a terrible game. And you just kind of assume it. I think that's because it was it was developed by uh, well, it was published by Capcom. Probably the single greatest video game company ever. Um, but that is completely my opinion. And um, they also made one for uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, which was like two players. Which is also a fantastic that game. That game was awesome. I mean, but DuckTales, DuckTales more so, I'd say, just because uh, Chippendale was, was way more like linear. You know, it was like, oh, beat this level, beat this boss, beat this level, beat this boss. Whereas in DuckTales, you could choose. You can choose which level you go to. Um, you, you didn't have to do it in order. And in in that way, you could kind of play the the levels that you are better at. You can get those out of the way first, and then you know choose to challenge yourself later, or you can dive right into the harder levels. And um, I mean, like I I dusted it off. I got uh, finally got something to play some of my old NES games, and that was one of the first games I played. And I was so frustrated by it. And I remember being really good at it as a kid, but like, I, I don't, I can't even recall how many hours it would take just to get past. I, I think I tried the Amazon jungle and, and I beat it, but I only had like one life left. And I was like, well, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't going to be any fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Chris, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is a game that I would hope that all of us spent hours and hours and hours and hours playing in multiplayer mode. Uh, because that was basically the best multiplayer mode ever created. In my personal opinion, uh, I'm talking about GoldenEye, classic, uh, Nintendo 64. And, uh, you know, when that game first came out, you know, Kevin, you talked about Wolfenstein really starting the, the first-person shooter, but GoldenEye really took the first-person shooter to the next level, I think. And not only the gameplay, which was great with, you know, your paintball mode and your big head mode and, you know, playing as the various characters, you know, everyone liked playing his odd job because he was a little tiny guy. Uh, it wasn't as easy to hit. Um, and, you know, you got your secret hidden levels and all sorts of great stuff in that game. And I... I can recall many, many, many hours playing that, uh, just completely addicted and getting together with some friends and spending, you know, a full day just playing multiplayer. Great stuff. Great game. Uh, it's just a shame that they've sullied the reputation, if you will, a little bit with the, uh, sort of resurgence, trying to research GoldenEye again, uh, a couple of years ago. Well, what made me really mad about that is that um, because um, Daniel Craig is under contract as Bond right now, that Daniel Craig is actually on the cover of GoldenEye. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was definitely the sort of game that uh, I, I will stand by my assertion that uh, Wolfenstein established the first-person shooter, but... Goldeneye really brought it to the masses. Um, I think when Goldeneye came out, you, you still have to look at the fact that a lot of people were not doing their gaming on PCs. It was still PC gaming was still a relatively, you know, minor thing, and it's it's always been a minor thing. Um, and so, to bring successfully to a console a first-person shooter was a very rare thing, and and most people just sort of thought it wasn't going to be able to be done. Uh, there had been other examples of them trying to do it, and they were not very good games because the gameplay wasn't very good. And Goldeneye came in and showed you exactly, not only that it could be done well, but that you could add extra things to a first-person shooter and make it more fun on top of it already being, you know, a great mechanic to begin with. So, yeah, this is uh, it's a great... Great choice. And it was a licensed game, too. It was a licensed game. One of the uh, the few licensed games out there that is a success. So, where are we at now? Number two? Yep, number two. Yeah. Reggie, what do you, uh, what do you got? My number two, it's something we talked about a little bit earlier, kind of when we were talking about Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, Street Fighter Two, um, made by Capcom. The greatest video game publisher in the world, as I as I previously mentioned, um, it a lot resonates with this game with me. I think in in all of its forms. But Street Fighter Two, like I, this is like one of those games that every time I saw it, like like whether it was like a restaurant or whether it was 
well, of course, it was going to be in the arcade, but, like, I, I just had to play it. I had, I was compelled to play it as a kid. Um, back then, I used Dalsam a lot. I don't know why I would do that now. <laughs> um, my strategy has completely changed. But um, kind of like how what Chris was saying earlier with Grand Theft Auto 3, how that kind of um, gave birth to this kind of genre. I, I'd say Grand Theft Auto 3 is like the thriller of, of sandbox games. And in that sense, I believe Street Fighter 2 is like the thriller of of fighting games. And everybody's just trying to recreate that success and those dynamics and those play mechanics. And, um, I mean, Capcom has had some success doing it, you know, themselves. But in my opinion, like, nobody's been able to come close. And I know, I know Mortal Kombat was on your list, Chris, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all, but... But in my opinion, Street Fighter, Street Fighter not only is a good fighting game, but I mean it's a good multiplayer game. It's a good. It's just it's an awesome game all around. So, and it's classic. You know, and I, yeah, and I had Street Fighter two for PC, uh, and I would play it all the time. Really enjoyable game. Uh, definitely one of the best fighting games around. I I agree with that pick. And it also spawns yeah. horrible live-action movies <laughs> as well. Yes. Well, my number two is a, a little different. Um, it does come from Japan, um, but many great games did. And it's called Dragon Quest. Um, there was a series of Dragon Quest games. It's one of the biggest series in the world um to the point where they actually have um uh they they actually give days off in Japan for the days that they come out um and i'm actually uh referring to the very first game in the series which is Dragon Warrior um but it was named uh known as Dragon Quest in Japan so the series was known as Dragon Warrior in America up until a few years ago, and then they started publishing them all as Dragon Quest. Um, but Dragon Warrior was the first one, and uh, it's one of the first um, JRPG games out there. It was published in the 1980s, and without this sort of game, you wouldn't have games like Final Fantasy. You wouldn't have games like... Uh, uh, Legend of Zelda, even really, um, you know, they, 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 this is a huge game. It was hugely um, influential. I, I believe the first game um, you could get with uh, the first issue of um, Nintendo uh, Nintendo Power, um, but it's a fantastic, you know, turn-based game. You're going around, you're exploring. It's it's a huge world. Like, I remember just being astounded at the size of the world of this, to the point where you had to have a strategy guide. Um, and I just thought that that sort of, like, immersion of the world was just amazing, where you had a strategy guide and a map and all this other stuff, whereas just, like, a year or two earlier, we were playing games like, you know... Donkey Kong. It was it was just incredible to me. 
but Dragon Dragon Warrior slash Dragon Quest. That's my number two. Yeah, either of you guys ever played Dragon? Either of these games or this game, rather? Not me. No. No, I. Have, I mean, I know about the more recent games in the series, but but yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know that the original one was was called Dragon Warrior over here. Yeah, it. Um, I actually bought it from a neighbor of mine, who I had I had borrowed it from like multiple times, and eventually it was just like, "You want to buy it for me?" Uh, and it's it's the sort of uh, you know childhood memory where it's like you always sort of want it, and eventually you get it. And it's not that it 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 it, it certainly doesn't lose its luster. It actually becomes more awesome once you have it yourself. And I just lost so many hours to this game. Um, I don't know if I ever actually beat it, but it, it had like slimes and the basic like JRPG uh, villains in it, and you know, on up to the the more powerful dragon characters and whatnot. But anyway, um. So Chris, I believe, or Red yeah, Chris. Me, I'm up. Okay, Chris. Chris, what is your number two? Uh, we're we're at number one, and we are at number one. Yes. Chris, what is your number but one? Before we get to my number one, I do want to give a special <laughs> shout out to uh, some games that just barely missed the list. Uh, a couple runners up that I feel are classics that people should check out, even though we didn't mention them, or maybe haven't even mentioned them yet. Uh, but I do want to give. Give credit real quick to Sonic the Hedgehog and Tetris, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. RBI Baseball, uh, Ghosts and Goblins, yes, and Mega Man Two. Both and those last two were published by Capcom, the greatest greatest video game company in the world. Just like to throw uh, that out there. Yes, indeed, Capcom games, good games, excellent games, all of them. Uh, but my number one pick is not a Capcom game, unfortunately. It is a Nintendo game. It is Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Uh, You know, a game that complex and complicated that they tell you when you first buy it that you cannot beat it in under 32 hours, which I think it was 32. And that to me was exciting. Uh, A game that that had such dense gameplay that you couldn't beat it in a day. And more often than not, most people, I know I spent more than 32 hours trying to beat it. I probably spent at least 100 hours trying to beat it. Eventually I did. A very complex game with complex, uh, you know, worlds. And it really took the Zelda series to an entirely different level. And I think it rocked the video game world. Similar to how, you know, like a Grand Theft Auto 3 really took gameplay for a PlayStation 2 to the next level. This was back in the N64 days. And I think Legends of Zelda Ocarina of Time really took, brought in this whole new world of gameplay uh, that was just intense and exciting. And such a fun game that I can't think of anything better. It's interesting because that's the sort of game that actually um, it's one of the first non-music based games that uses 
music making in it. I mean, you you see other games shortly thereafter, like Res and uh, how you know you had uh, Pa Rappa the Rappa uh, the rapper. Um, you know, a, a year or two earlier. Um, but uh, th- this this sort of music making uh, game mechanic is just sort of a mini game in here, but it becomes a much bigger thing in other dedicated games uh, later on. I think that was very clever um, game designers realizing that this game mechanic is a very powerful one and capitalizing on it. Yes, yeah, one of the one of the many revolutionary things about the game. It's true. Reggie, what's your number one? Uh, my number one game, uh, also something we we mentioned uh, within the span of this conversation, but um, again, one of the earliest games I remember playing in the arcades when I was little. Um, certainly one that everybody should be familiar with, uh, Pac-Man, just simply because it's basic. Um, I mean, the sounds are pretty universal. Um, you know, you hear the abba, 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 and, and, you know, that, that even that brings back memories, you know, in a sense, and like, or like the, you know, the sound of Pac-Man dying. You know, these are all things that I think everybody can, <laughs> everybody relates to in one form or another. And, um, I mean, it's all just, I think at the, the most basic level, you know, it's kind of like how when people try to communicate and speak two different languages and, uh, you know, they use a lot of like hand signals and whatnot, I kind of feel like the most basic form of trying to talk about video games with another person who doesn't understand it too well is just talking about Pac-Man. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I still love it. I have a Pac-Man shirt that it's, I wore to work the other day. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great game. Uh, you don't think Miss Pac-Man is better, though? Um, she certainly accessorizes more than he does. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think that makes it a, a better game. Well, sexier game. <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that arcade cabinet when I was little, and and seeing her chubby little legs sticking out, and, uh, <laughs> and wondering if if that was really the only difference. We uh we actually I worked at a warehouse for a while, and it was a big deal when they brought in a arcade cabinet that included Miss Pac Man on it, and I think we all like. Most of our our breaks and lunch breaks comprised of us playing this game um, because, of course, we could play it for free um, and just, like, trying to beat each other's high scores within, you know, 45 minutes or whatever hour that we had. Uh, My number one is uh, not quite as whole... uh, it's not quite as wholesome as uh, Pac-Man. It's uh, the first shoot-'em-up that my parents really didn't care for too much. Um, though looking at it now, it's kind of uh, amusing that 
they would feel this way. Uh, it's Contra. What didn't um, they like about Contra? I mean, well, besides shooting. It was shooting. Okay. All right. I, okay. It was okay. shooting. It was shooting people. And, and it was, it was, it was a new concept that, you know, I would go around shooting people, uh, in my games. And, um, I think it wasn't so much that they didn't like it. They just were uncomfortable about it. They never stopped me from playing it or anything like that. Um, my parents were, were fairly, uh, or at least my mom was fairly um, protective, uh, but she wouldn't necessarily stop me from doing anything that I wanted to do. I, I watched Simpsons. I watched bad 80s shoot em up you know, action films. Um, I wasn't deprived or anything like that. And uh, Contra is sort of like the pinnacle of that, where you are going around, you're living an 80s action film, um, you're fighting aliens in the jungles of South America uh, as, like, a super commando. Um, And very often the best way to play it was have another friend join you and try to, like, sometimes semi-screw your friend out of getting the better uh, gun blasts. you know, the best one was always the spread gun, which you would be able to take out half the game or half the screen with your uh, with a single shot, um, no matter where you were on the screen. Um, and of course, it gave birth to the infamous Konami Code, um, which is definitely referenced in Wreck It Ralph. You know, to bring it all around. Um, without the Konami Code, you you would without Contra, you wouldn't have the Konami Code. Uh, be quite as as popular as it is now, and um, I think, uh, yeah, Contra. I mean, it, it's a game that I still play um, pretty regularly. Actually, I have it on my Xbox, and uh, it's it's awesome. So that's my number one. Somebody Good taking choice. a shower. That was Lindsay. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. Contra Contra's awesome. <laughs> Definitely one that spent a lot of time. I mean, and it's hard not to when you have 99 when you have 99 guys to not beat the game, you know? But it's hard to play it and beat it with a regular um five guys that you usually get. Yeah, like I can't I can't even imagine doing that. Like I <laughs> maybe it's just because I, I took, I took the amount of lives I had for granted, you know. Playing like, cause I never, I, I'll be honest, I never tried playing Contra just standard, you know. Like I always did it with the ninety nine, <laughs> with the ninety nine guys. Even I remember, uh, <clears throat> with, well, I had Super C back in the day. I mean, I, I played Contra, yes, but I didn't own it. And then then I bought Super C just because I liked Contra so much. And. With Game Genie, I had, like, codes for all the guys, but, I like, I don't know. It's, like, one of those things that'd probably be, like, an awesome game. Super frustrating, but awesome. But we're so used to to playing it broken and cracked. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, it's, I, I actually, um, I beat it once without the code. Um, and it was one of those ultimate moments where you just remember it. I was probably, I don't know, eight years old at the time, nine years old, and it was just that moment where I, like, beat it, and I was like, my life is going to be so much better now that I've beaten Contra. Was it? By myself. Uh, you know, of course it has been. It's been great. 
Contra changed my life. That's why it's your number one. That's my number one. So, spoiler alert, it, uh, I'm, I'm biased because it changed my life. Anyway, so uh, that's our, no- our top five uh, all-time classic games. Um, if you guys have anything that we may have missed, uh, and I'm sure we missed plenty. Um, you know, there's no Tony Hawks here. There's no uh, Res- Rock Band Res- or Resident exactly. Evil. Um, no Sonics. Uh, I mean, there- there's so many games here that we missed that I'm sure, like, like, like it's just such a huge topic. Um, so email us, uh, fhgpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're also on the Twitters. We're also on the Tumblers. On Twitter. We're also on the Facebooks. It's true. It's true. Uh, we actually got our first message uh, this week on our Facebook. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. I saw it. You saw somebody message us, basically telling us to, to listen to their podcast, but... We got a message. <laughs> Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, but anyway, uh, give us a call. Um, we have a, a voicemail as well. Um, you guys know that phone number? I yeah. don't. Eight, you can probably find eight, it on the four, Facebooks seven, or the eight, Tumblers nine, three, or the Twitters. Zero three four four. I'm trying to. I'm trying to make it a, a jingle. So that people remember. No. No. Seven seven two three zero one. Do, 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 do. Funny and handsome guys. <laughs> that's that's not our. That's not. No. Our <laughs> All right. All right. Well, give us a call. Give us a tweet. Give us an email. Whatever your your uh, preferred nomenclature is. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, until then. We'll see you guys next week. Stay funny and handsome.